Today's episode of the Duke Basketball Report podcast is brought to you by the boys of Bird Campbell, PA, your Duke-centric law firm with offices in Texas and Florida and founded by two Duke grads and former roommates, Bird Campbell means business. Duke fans, welcome to episode 114 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. We are recording this in the AM on Saturday, March 24th, and we're doing this after Duke advances to the Elite Eight with a win over Syracuse. Before we recap that and preview the big Elite Eight matchup against Kansas, I'm Donald. I am your host this week, and I am here in the friendly confines of Washington, D.C. As usual, my crew is with me. First, Jason Evans in Atlanta. What's going on, Jason? Not much, Donald. Sounds like the police are outside your door, as usual. This happens to you every time we record on a Saturday, doesn't it? <laughs> you know, I, I live on an emergency route, and I also live on a route that is uh, uh, frequented by uh, the vice presidential motorcade and other dignitaries. So I live in a cool part of town, but the drawback is it always seems like SWAT is heading to my door. But I'll tell you something. Where you and I are does not hold a candle to where Sam was last night. Yeah, let's bring in Sam. Sam Klein. I think he's back in Denver, but Sam, why don't you tell the people where you were last night? I am, in fact, back in Denver. Hello, good morning. Um, I am running on not very much sleep because I was at the Sweet 16 games last night in Omaha. So between when we recorded last week, which would have been on Saturday, I think, um, after, the, after the Duke games um, from the first weekend, um, we got... Uh, we got uh, contacted by the very nice guys who do uh, Duke basketball coverage for WXDU, the um, Duke student radio station. And they asked if any of us uh, were available to make the trip to Omaha uh, in their place um, because they had press access that they weren't going to be able to use. So it took me a few hours after they sent that message to us on Sunday um, to get all my logistics straightened out. But I was able to go to the Sweet 16 yesterday. I actually drove out to Omaha with some friends yesterday, and I, I flew back this morning. Um, so I got in yesterday a couple hours before the Kansas game. I was able to watch the whole Kansas game um, from the press area, like way at the top of the arena. And then um, I got to watch the Duke game actually from the floor, um, found, a, uh, found an empty press seat that I could, I could plop myself down in. So, um, so that was really incredible. Uh, thanks again. Before we get really into it, um, my thanks again to the WXDU guys, Matt and Angelo, for um, for hooking that up for us. It was it was an extremely cool experience. And um, if you want to see any of my, uh, I, I tweeted out a bunch of pictures last night from my personal Twitter account. Um, that's sam.g.klein. You can go uh, check out all the all the pictures that I sent out um, from the game, and uh, it, it was it was an awesome time. So I'm I'm. But I'm now I'm back this morning and ready to talk to you guys about that game. Um, I have I have lots of notes that I was taking. We have some we have some player audio that I got um, from the locker room last night. So uh, I'm excited to uh, to dive into this with you. Awesome. Let you know what? Let's just get right into it. Uh, Duke was sweet on Friday night, and now they are elite. Duke took on Syracuse in the Sweet 16 last night in Omaha, and despite a struggle. Uh, from the, from the uh, shooting area, they held off the orange, 69 to 65. It was Coach K's 1100 win as a coach. A lot to unpack, but Sam, I'm going to go right back to you. You were at the game. You were on press row at various angles, and you got to talk to some of the players. 
Tell us your takeaways from the game, really, and first and foremost, your experience being on press row. Oh my gosh, it's incredibly cool. Um, you know, being not that I've never been that close to a basketball game before because um, I was a Cameron crazy for four years and and often was approximately the position I was in last night, just being like right in the in the corner. But um, but really cool to be down there. Uh, got to walk around the arena a lot before the game and 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 what have you. And uh, but so my impressions of the game because that's I think the most important thing here. Um, Duke played played really hard last night. I thought that um, they were they were working really hard on offense to get the shots they wanted. And we know um, the you know the the standout I think stats from last night are Duke's poor shooting from outside. We talked about in the preview and you know relative to previous Syracuse games that it is hard to make shots against Syracuse. I don't know that that was the the problem last night was not that Duke was was getting bad shots. I think that they just weren't falling. And and Grayson Allen after the game talked about how it was just really frustrating that he was like, you know, I took a couple of those shots that I thought were going in. Um, so that that was the main struggle for Duke. If if Grayson makes two or three more of those threes, it's a comfortable victory. I think rather than being like down to the wire like it was. However, really impressed last night with with Duke's defense. Um, the they uh, they they seem to be frustrating Syracuse a lot. Syracuse actually was more effective on offense this game than they were in the game in Cameron. But I still felt like um, Duke's defensive intensity was really high. I was especially impressed um, with Wendell Carter and and Marvin Bagley last night on defense. I thought they did a really good job. Um, I got. I, I I was sort of taking notes as the game was going on. That's like a stream of consciousness. Um, but um, one of the things that I noted was that the you know from the floor, watching that zone defense, the 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 thing I think that you can't get from the TV angle is um, just how little space there is when the zone is being implemented effectively. You know when as the ball's moving around the perimeter, when the defenders are are you know locked in and and they're paying attention. Um, there's arms and bodies everywhere so it's very hard to get those passes we talk about how oh you want to get the get the passes to the free throw line get the passes down low there's not a lot of space to do that and and Syracuse a lot of times last night was you know throwing passes that that I don't think even they were confident doing they were just like well we have to we have to try something um so that was really impressive to me um and uh and and the the one of the interesting things that I noted that was kind of different between Duke's offensive game plan and Syracuse's offensive game plan is that Duke was trying to, you know, that both teams are trying to get the ball into the middle um, to attack the zone. The, the way that Duke chooses to do it um, is that they have the big men flash at the free throw line really quickly, and then they move off of it. Um, it's a, their, their offensive game plan is a little bit more active than Syracuse's was. And I think that that that's one of the things that made them, um, a little bit more effective. Um, the other, and then the last thing that I wanted to note before I give it to Jason and, and back to you, Donald, to tell me what it looked like on television is um, that I wanted to give special recognition to Marquise Bolden, who didn't play that many minutes, but in the in the minutes he played, he was really effective on defense. Um, made one very cool play where he broke up an alley oop, and uh, I wrote down that it must feel extremely cool to to defend against that successfully, where you get up higher than the other guy does. Um, but I know there were a lot of a lot of fun dunks last night from Duke, so I want to give it um, over to Jason. Jason, what did you see, um, sort of from the from the traditional viewing angle of this game, and uh, and in particular, I want to hear um, about Duke's offense. 
I'm sorry, Sam, before, before Jason answers, I have one final question for you from being at the game. Um, How close were you to Nolan Smith's jacket? Okay. So, (laughs) um, so my seat for the game was um, across from the Syracuse bench. So I was actually kind of far from Nolan's jacket. I did tweet a comment about it though. Um, I I believe I said something to the effect of uh, remember back in 2010 when it was like a, a minor, you know, Duke scandal that that Coach K let Brian Zubek grow a beard, yeah. um, and it was like a closely cropped beard. Um, you know, it, it wasn't all that aggressive. This this whole Nolan Smith's jacket last night makes Brian Zubek's beard growth look like the most innocuous thing that ever happened to <laughs> to the progression of style in the Duke basketball program. I like, and 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 it was funny because I went, I said hi to Nolan Smith before the game. And um, he wasn't wearing the jacket yet. He was just wearing the, the shirt and tie. So I didn't realize at the time that he was going to be dressed so outrageously. And man, I wish I had because, because I had things to say to him about it. Um, <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was lighting up the arena, um, even from the other side of the court. And I didn't, like I said, I didn't have a great view of the Duke bench because I was like in the opposite corner and we're on kind of the same level. So it's, um, it's a little hard to see them. But man, that, that jacket really stood out. That jacket definitely stood out. Okay, Jason, go. Your, your takes on the, on the game. Well, so I want to start by talking about Syracuse. I want to give full credit to the Syracuse Orange Men. You know, there was something Sam said at the end of the podcast last week after we had spent the entire Syracuse preview sort of dumping on them and, you know, talking about there's no way they could keep up with us. And, and that they weren't nearly as good a team as Duke. And Sam said, boy, I really hope we aren't eating our words next week. <laughs> and we almost were. And, and that is full credit to the Syracuse Orangemen. They had to ugly up the game, and they did. They had to prevent us from owning the paint and killing them on the boards, and they did. They couldn't let us score a lot. They couldn't let us hit a lot of threes, and they didn't. Their length and activity at the top of the zone makes it really hard to find your shot. Sam, I thought your, your, your comment about you know, length and, and zones plugging holes and the such, when, when you're watching a game on television and you've got the view from above, from the eye in the sky, it's easier to see the holes in the zone than when you're at the game. Oh, um, they're nowhere. It, yeah. They're, it, it looks like you know, when, the, when the ball was down at my end of the court, and, and guys are passing it around the perimeter, regardless of if it was Syracuse or Duke on offense, it doesn't look like there's any room to, to, to throw the ball anywhere. And that's why, like I was talking about the, the difference in their game plans, that's why I thought Duke's game plan worked a little better because um, they were more active. It, it requires a little bit more communication among the offensive players. The Syracuse players, um, I found a lot of times that like Howard and, and Tyus Battle would get the ball at the top of the key, Howard, I think in particular, and would be he'd be holding it and motioning with his head and his eyes at at some of his other players, like his wings or, or or his big men, to like go to certain spots, and they would react slowly, and the Duke players would be able to react along with them. So so if you know Gary Trent is guarding on the perimeter, like where Dolezal is, he and and Howard would like motion to Dolezal to like you know go left. Um, Trent would would follow his eyes and do the same thing. So it, so there wasn't. There weren't as many opportunities I thought where Syracuse was getting the ball into um, into like useful places relative to how well Duke was doing that. Well, so uh, so continuing about Syracuse, 
their their ability to to be long and really active in their zone makes it super hard for you to find a good shot unless you step back a little bit and you shoot from 23 instead of 20. And that's what we did, and it didn't work out for us. We didn't hit those shots. It also makes it really hard to find angles to get the ball into the post. That's why most of the pass we made into the post were lobs over the zone. Syracuse is really well coached. They did what they needed to do, and they almost pulled off a great, great upset. And again, full, full credit to them. And they worked so hard for it. I mean, in the first half, Syracuse had nine offensive rebounds. We only had six defensive rebounds. They were owning us on the boards. They out-rebounded us 19-12 to 12 in the first half. I never, never thought that would happen. Now, we turned around and out-rebounded them 21-12 to 12 in the second half. And that gave us an 11 to 1 margin on second chance points. Those second chance points in the second half are, were, was the difference in the game for us. It's the only reason we were able to win this game. And, and last thing I want to say about Syracuse is, um, folks, what you saw in this game, be prepared to see it again next year because this Syracuse team is going to be really good and they bring everyone back. I guess it's possible. There's been talk that Tyus Battle and O'Shea Brissett Either one of them could maybe turn pro, um, but there's not a lot of talk about it. Neither one of them are, you know, lottery picks or anything like that. I mean, I think both Battle and Brissett could maybe be a late first rounder, but everyone else is back. I think Battle and Brissett both might be back. At least one of them probably will be back. They bring in a top 10 recruit in a forward named Darius Basley, who is really good. They're going to be much deeper next year because they have three really nice recruits. Um, most of their guys were like, Dolajaj and Brissette were both freshmen. I mean, those guys were really solid players for freshmen, and they're probably going to be around. Dolajaj especially is going to be around for a long time. Um, they weren't even top 100 players, and they turned into really good, solid players. Jim Beheim did a great job with this team, and I think next year, Syrac it could be the best Syracuse team we've seen until since like the very first year Syracuse was in the uh, in the ACC. But yeah, I'm, in terms I'm glad of you, what, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned yeah, that because because I could see, and 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 you hit on the fact that they're bringing in some better offensive talent next year. They need like, um, they need a little bit more order on offense and and a little bit more creativity because that offense this year just did not didn't really feature anything that that in particular scared you. I thought um, if they if they clean that up even a little bit. You're right. They're going to be they're going to be extremely scary next year, and and they'll be back to being, I think, a, a top you know four or five team in the ACC. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And and the thing about Duke in this game was uh, we there's no question we we took a ton of threes and and we missed a ton of threes. Um, uh, and if you have to have a game, uh, if you have to have a stinker that you win to win a national title. I think this was the stinker. Although, like I said earlier, full credit to Syracuse for forcing us to play that poorly, for forcing us to shoot that poorly. I'll say this. Uh, I don't think we will shoot nearly that poorly again, uh, outside against Kansas. But if we do, the game won't be nearly as intense or interesting down the stretch, that's for sure. If, if we play that way, if we shoot that way against Kansas, we won't be in the game against them. That's for sure. Um, I know that, I know that yeah. from watching that, the Kansas game prior, uh, I don't think that Kansas is is defending the perimeter the way that Syracuse can. So no, I, no, most assuredly not. Just from the like mental change, because like I said, Grayson Allen had open shots last night that he just missed, uh, like inexplicably. 
some of that you could probably attribute to the psychology of Syracuse's defense. Kansas doesn't do that. And, and, and as good as their guard play is, they're not able to contest on the perimeter the way that Syracuse can. I expect Duke, like you said, to make a, a higher percentage of their threes on Sunday. So I, I, I want to let Sam get in. I'm sorry. I want to let Donald get in and, um, uh, and give us his thoughts. But, but really quick to, to wrap up sort of what I saw in the game. To me, there were a couple major keys. And the biggest one was we only had seven turnovers against them. Now, Syracuse isn't Syracuse's zone is designed to make you miss shots, not designed to have you turn the ball over. But still, only seven turnovers was a big deal that allowed us to take five more shots than they did and shoot 11 more free throws than they did. So we had more possessions that were productive that ended up in chances to get baskets. And to me, that's why we won, despite a really wretched shooting performance. And I also should note, you know, there was a chance in this game for us to let our, you know, one of Duke's big weak points, our spotty free throw shooting. There was a chance for us to let our free throw shooting lose the game for us. We hit a lot of free throws in the first half to keep up with them. It's like we couldn't score other than free throws in the first half. And then late in the final five minutes, we had a lot of big free throws from Marvin Bagley, from Grayson Allen, and from Gary Trent. We didn't hit all of them, but we hit enough of them. And we hit them, you know, over the game, we hit them at a 71% clip, which which is a little better than what Duke usually does. I mean, in a game like this where it's tense and and where there's a lot of pressure, it's a good chance for, for people to show nerves. You know, I wouldn't have been shocked if Duke had hit only 60% of their free throws. If we did, we would have lost. So I think that's a really great sign for this team moving forward as we now get on to Kansas. But D- Donald, it's been all me and Sam. Go for it, man. What, what were your thoughts about the game? So uh, to, to, to follow up with what you guys had, there was two thing, two notes that I had. The first one, in this game in the first 15 minutes, I found myself looking up and asking myself, am I playing NBA 2K? Here's why. Because we talked about the fact that we have similar zones and similar matchups. And, and during the game, it, you could, it was almost like we were playing a game where it was Duke versus Duke, blue versus white. Because... The, the defensive shapes of the zones were exactly the same. The way each team was attacking the zone was exactly the same. And at the end of the day, it was all about who executed on either end better. And we did that slightly better than Syracuse. And it was funny to watch because when you're doing that, you're, you're almost like trying to figure out, hey, what are we doing differently? What do we need to, to do to get back in this game? Or what do we need to do to, to you know, make some adjustments? And we didn't really have to do anything. We just had to, it was almost like looking in the mirror. We were looking at Syracuse, and Syracuse was doing exactly what we were doing to kind of stay with us. And I thought that was kind of clever uh, by Beheim to kind of you know read read what we were doing and just kind of mimic it because it was obviously going to work. But the one thing that Syracuse was doing, and they did this a lot in the in the first half, but really in the second half, they had opportunities where they could have opened up the lead or established some momentum, but they tried to create posters. And what the, by by that I mean they were trying to get you know alley oop dunks and when they were catching the ball they were trying to dunk it in someone's face they were trying to go like do stuff in you know in a Duke player's face and it was kind of weird because they missed a couple of alley oops they missed a couple of putbacks because if they had just done a normal dunk it would have gone in but they decided to try and find the closest Duke person to them to try and do it over them and they missed uh, and and you know it we picked up on that in the second half and you could tell the couple of times I know Sam mentioned 
uh, Marquise Bolden when he blocked the alley oop, uh, the, the alley oop attempt. He did that because he knew what they were going to do. He was like, this guy is going to try and pass to a guy that's behind me, and this guy is going to try and find me and try and dunk over me. Well, he can't do that if he doesn't have the ball. So he he went up there, he he timed it perfectly, tipped the ball to himself, and you know ran down and got that. Uh, uh, I want to say it was the uh, the layup at the other end, so or the putback at the other end. So I think that those two things really were interesting to note. Uh, in in addition to what you guys had, but in the end, I think the difference was we executed down the stretch, we made our free throws. Gary Trent, uh, uh when he made those free throws at the end, uh, the, the very end. He made the first free throw, and you could tell someone asked him, hey, man, you know, knock this down. You got this. And calmly, with, like, not an expression in the world, he looks at him and goes, I got it. And as soon as he, I saw him see that, say that on national TV, I, I started smiling in the back of the, of the room because I was like, this guy's got it. You know, the ice water is in his veins. He's making these free throws, and we're going to the Elite Eight. So I think that's what – uh, the difference was we executed, and especially down the stretch, we 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 were poised and we made the plays. But uh, I want to toss back to Sam because Sam, after the game, you were able to get into the locker room and talk with some of the players. Uh, so tell us what that was about, and and, and kind of lead us into that. Sure. Um, so I I, I uh, got to talk to Grayson Allen for a little bit about um, about his shooting night in in particular, and 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 uh, got to snag some quotes as well from from other reporters about about his growth uh, i know we're going to listen to those in a second um i also got um some some interesting insight from marquise bolden about preparation for this game and then we talked to um wendell carter also um about uh about you know what his game plan was here and, and about that offensive execution that i talked about and looking forward at kansas um because i know that he he knows uh udoka azabuki who's a guy we're going to talk about here pretty soon um so let's go to those tapes and we'll uh we'll just run through some of that some of that audio that i grabbed last night Five of 25, do you attribute that to their zone or just a cold night? It's a lot of open Excuse me. A lot of those were really open. Um, a lot of those were deeper because of how they can test the zone. Um, but me and, me and Gary will have better shooting nights than that most of the time. Um, but their, their defense does a good, a good job, so you have to get some, some credit to them. And uh, I don't know if we would have won a 5 for 25 game early on in the season. Um, we did a really good job of not letting the offensive shooting affect our defense. Um, yeah, we stayed sharp defensively and stayed into the game on offense. You get to play another game. Yeah, it's a great feeling. It's a, it's an awesome feeling knowing you're staying alive. Um, we didn't want to go back to Durham quite yet. You looked pretty surprised a couple of times when those things I was really surprised, man. Uh, uh, to your rims here in Omaha. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, we we got we got really good looks. Um, especially our big guys in the middle played so good. I wish I could have given them some more assists. Yeah. How surprised were you that Marvin missed that one uh, that one dunk that ended up getting called for the basket? Yeah, experience? very surprised. <laughs> I haven't seen him do that many times. Usually he's uh, we'll just say he was too high up there to finish it. He's the only one who you can say that about, right? Yeah. <laughs> What is this second jump kind of like in terms of his ability to get up that high that quick? It seems like something no one's ever seen on this team. Uh-uh. Um, I mean, if his first jump is 40, his second jump is 38. So it's a, it's a pretty crazy thing. Even on the lob that he missed, he got back up there to tip the ball. 
and it barely even moved. It was only up there for like half a second. So uh, the speed at which he jumps and how quick he jumps it, a lot of times he's dunking before the other guy gets up in the air because he gets up so quick. And uh, it's what makes him a great rebounder, what makes him a great finisher down there. And uh, it's why I trust to throw lobs really anywhere around the rim and let him go get it. Could you tell uh, Gary had a confidence about him when he went up to the line there? Yeah, Gary always has a confidence about him. I knew he was going to knock those down. Uh, Gary loves big moments. He made a bunch of big plays in the shot clock at the end there. Uh, he's made clutch free throws all year for us. So, uh, you know, at the end there, we wanted the ball in me and Gary's hands. And, uh, you know, he did a great job of knocking them down, especially under pressure here. Grayson, you've been the one senior around all these freshmen. How have you seen them grow since the first day you guys walked out of practice? Um, man, well, a game like today kind of sums it up. You know, earlier in the year, if we would have gone 5 for 26 for 3, we wouldn't have won a game. Um, we wouldn't have stayed in it on the defensive end like we did today. Um, you know, so much is, as a young player, so much of your game you feel like is centered around scoring. And when you don't score the ball well, it, 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 try, it affects all, all parts of your game. And this team has matured enough where it didn't. Um, you know, Trey's low scoring game didn't affect his game. He was really good defensively, especially with fighting around screens up top. Gary, too. Gary was vocal and active the entire game, even after he was missing threes. Um, and so this team, this team has grown so much. And it's not only me talking out there. It's, it's, there's a bunch of you know, feedback from them. Uh, Trey is bringing us in for a lot of huddles, a lot of time, and, and Gary has a great voice out there. And uh, one of the reasons our zone works so well is Wendell's voice in the middle. So these guys have really grown into to leaders in their own right, matured a lot as players as, as they've had to. How much do you remember about the Elite Eight and the Sweet 16 and maybe the end of the tournament in your freshman season? Uh, Other than the winning part. Yeah, it felt good to win. Um, I don't remember. I don't remember a ton of it, and I remember. Um, Obviously, we had like Gonzaga there in the Elite Eight my freshman year, and uh, was a tough game. And uh, Matt Jones ended up coming up huge for us and making big shots down the stretch. And, so how does experience compare? Um, well, you have to expect to be in a big game. You have to be expect to be in like pressure moments, tough moments, like Gary was in today. Um, you know, we have to expect to be in a moment where you know we're down two and we need to get a bucket, or we're up two and we need to get a stop. Uh, those are the moments that you have to kind of embrace and. That's where experience on coaches end helps, um, and experience on my end as a captain helps, so we can lead these guys to do to be successful. Here's Grayson. Did you ever see Mike take his jacket off that fast? And no, he ripped that thing off. So <laughs> quick. Some debris flew on the court from it. <laughs> what? Uh, what's more frustrating? Missing a bunch of threes in a game, or not getting to drive as much as you normally do? Um. I've gotten over the not driving thing. I haven't done much of it all year. Uh, Only got one shot inside the three-point line yeah. tonight. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's how it's been a lot of the year for me. When you got two big guys in there, there's not much uh, opening for you to drive. Uh, our penetration is from hitting them down there, hitting them in the post and playing off them, or in the high post and playing off them because they're you know exchanging and moving so much. And, um, I, mean, I I wish I could have. I mean, Wendell probably would have had five assists if I would have made some shots today. So I wish I could have helped him out a little bit. Marquise, can I ask you a question? Yeah. Um, you guys uh, played really well tonight. You had a, lot of, a couple of good uh, altered shots and stuff. Was it different playing them this time as opposed to last time? Preparation any different? Were they trying to do anything different? Of course. I mean, everything uh, top to bottom was different. They're a Sweet 16, you know what I'm saying, a tournament team. And you can't really compare conference play to an NCAA tournament game. So 
Yeah, the preparation was different. They're a different team. We're a different team. Everything was just like nothing was the same. What was it about their offensive execution you think that was different this time than last time? Their offensive execution? Yeah. Uh, they really moved the ball well, and they tried to, you know what I'm saying, they play as on, we play as on, so we really all know the ins and outs. So they really just tried to, you know what I'm saying, find open spots and, and, and knock down shots. Great. Thanks. Thank Appreciate it. Well, no, I've been covering Kay's yeah. game for a long time. Yeah. I've never seen him rip off his jacket yeah. like that. What, what, what impression did that make on you guys when uh, he did that? And, and then the huddle. Uh, he preaches to us about, um, you know, when it's a fire, we have to put it out as a team. And when he did something like that, I think we all knew it was a fire, and we had to put that put that fire out. And it, that was on the defensive end. We had to pick up our defense, pick up our talk, pick up our uh, activity, you know, get stops, and then score another end. Did, did, did he shake you up at all there? Uh, not much. Um, you know, I, I, I've seen it before. You know, our practices and earlier games and off days, I've, I've seen it before. So it wasn't nothing that, uh, that was new to me. Do you feel like you guys were needed that at that point? Like you needed to be shaking up up that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. I know it's on the sideline. Yeah, we definitely needed it. Um, we came out in the second half very flat. And, um, you know, he, that, that, that just put something in the back of our heads. Like, you know, this is do or die. There's no more second chances. Let's, let's go ahead and take care of business. It's easy to see, say, obviously, before games that Syracuse could be a completely different team from a month ago. But then when you see them on the court and you think back, like a month ago in Cameron, we were crushing these guys. What was that first impression like when you saw them moving the ball way better than they did a month ago, hitting shots? Just, did it kind of take you back at first? Uh, it did take me back, but at the same time, I, I, I forced that thought in my mind. I didn't want to, you know, uh, relax and think that, you know, we beat this team before. Uh, they, they're not going to be there. They're, uh, they're going to be the same team. I tried to take that thought completely out of my mind and just go into it where, you know, we, we're going to play our, our fundamental defense and do what we're supposed to do. On offense, it seemed like you guys were flashing at the free throw line really quickly and then moving off of it. Yeah. Is, the, is that motion like something you're always trying to do, or was Syracuse pushing you off of it uh, faster than you thought you were going to get it? Um, you know, it, it was a motion that we, we wanted to do, um, you know, just to get ourselves get ourselves moving, get the defense moving, and uh, so they weren't just standing still and not guarding anything. Wendell, what, what kind of thoughts do you have just initially about having this kind of a matchup with Kansas, which is obviously another uh, traditional you know, power with a spot on the Final Four at stake? Um, you know, they're a great team. Um, I haven't watched them much this year, but uh, I know a lot of their personnel. Um, I know that they, they're going to they're gonna come out and fight. You know, it's a Lee A game. You know, who's not going to fight? And, um, uh, they, they, they're a very good team, and you know, we're going to scout them a lot more. What do you know about the personnel, you know, specifically that, that has stood out to you? Um, you know, I played with Udoka throughout uh, AAU uh, for one year, so I know a lot about him you know, as a person. And, um, I He's know probably he, one of the few big guys who's actually bigger than you. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, uh, Malik Newman, you know, great shooter. Now, all their guards are great shooters, great drivers, and they're very feisty on the defensive end. And one more question for you. <laughs> um, what changed about preparing for them this time when you guys have already played them in the regular season, but you got to play them in the tournament where, um, you know, postseason? You know, we, we were able to rely on that, that game that we played earlier yeah. in the season, but um, you know, it, it was it was mo it was more of a heart thing. You know, who was going to have the more heart, uh, the most heart in this game? 
and um, no, it wasn't so much about personnel, but going out there, sharing a lot of emotion, and just making the correct basketball plays. Were they executing better on offense this time than they were last time? Yeah, definitely. Um, no, they made a lot of great passes. They utilized the middle a lot in that zone that we play, and um, no, they they made a lot of great offensive uh, plays. Great, thank you. <laughs> So Sam, congrats on getting that. It's really cool. It's really fun to be in a locker room. I I, I want to tell people something and, and also say something to Sam. You know, I've been a journalist my whole adult life. I was at CNN for 20 years. I started as a journalist at CNN when I was still in my teens. Um, and I'm really kind of the journalist of, of, of our crew. I arrange almost all the interviews that we do. Um, I generally take the lead on most of the interviews. I was the guy who sat on press row for the Georgia Tech game and then went in the locker room and interviewed the players. Um, I'm going to be going to media week, media day next week for the uh, McDonald's All-American game to interview some of the Duke recruits at the McDonald's All-American game. But this time, Sam, you got to be the journalist. And now Sam knows, now Sam understands that thinking about questions that are actually probing and not obvious is not easy. And watching a game from press row and being dispassionate about it, sort of divorcing yourself from your fandom so that you can report on it in a, uh, you know, sort of an intellectual and dispassionate way is not easy. Sam, do me a favor, talk for a moment about what it's like being a journalist and being immersed in, uh, in, in that world for that one game. So I think I caught myself about four times during the Duke game making some kind of reaction face to something that went on. Um, there was there was one Allen to Bagley alley-oop, at one, and there were a couple of those, but there was one in particular where I thought Bagley just got up really high, at least from from my vantage point, and I made the made the ooh face, like, and I kind of looked around a little bit, and I realized that everyone else sitting around me was not doing that, and I was like, Oh right, don't don't do that. Um, so it's it's tough. I, uh, I I pretty much had to um, I had to subsist on like constantly texting other people my reactions to things because I was like I can't I can't physically react. So I'm just gonna I'm just gonna you know type everything out as quickly as I can. Write things down. I like I said I I took a bunch of notes. Um, so I had to sort of keep my my body occupied um, to not you know react strongly to everything and uh, that was honestly the hardest part the um you know going to the game and 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 not looking like a duke fan is, is totally fine i'm just happy to be in the arena um but yeah like you said jason it is it is a lot more nerve-wracking than you realize um because you know we when when we write interview questions like for this show um we have time to prepare that stuff in advance we know you know usually days ahead of time that we're getting any particular person on the show. So the three of us will, will, will talk about questions we want to ask and, and try to get ideas for, for questions that are not, Oh, how does it feel to, to win this game? And how does, you know, how, how great is, is Syracuse at playing defense? Like questions that hopefully uh, we, we try to write questions that are, that are going to be deeper and are going to elicit, you know, better responses, not like talk about, you know, how great it was to play in, in the sweet 16. Um, so, <laughs> and, and I, I, I was trying not to do that. Um, well, uh, I so the easiest, I, I, the easiest uh, reaction is to, is to fall back on it. Um, so, so I, I was texting you guys. I was trying to write stuff down before I ran in there because there's a little bit of, of time before you can go into the locker room after the game. Um, so I, I, I 
I hope I I hope I represented us well, but but it is it is challenging, and you have to contend with lots of other at least in these tournament games. And I imagine covering Duke, it's probably similar at any game you go to. There is a lot of media around because people are interested in them. So trying to get a good question and get it in there to them um, can be kind of tough. Well, well, Sam. So I want to say, um, so first of all, folks should know there was probably. Um, there probably is another 10 minutes or so of sound that Sam sent to Donald and I that he recorded that um, that was full of all that obvious, boring, like, uh, you know, just the terrible questions that don't reveal anything. Sam, through, through all the stuff you sent, every single question that all those reporters that you recorded, I'll tell you something. I'm going to be really honest about this. The best question I heard and to me, the most revealing question that got the best answer was the question you asked Grayson Allen about not being able, about just staying outside and shooting threes and not being able to drive and take the ball to the basket. And his response where he said, hey, you know, it's not just this game. That's been the whole year. We've got two big men in there and there's no room for me. And so I've had to adjust and change my game. I thought that was the most revealing thing that I heard in all the sound, all the post-game interviews. Um, and, and so props to you for identifying, you know, something really significant about Grayson Allen's game that had to change this year from the Grayson Allen that we've seen in the past and, uh, and picking up on that and getting good reaction from him on it. So, so props to you for that. Okay. Well, thank you. I, I, I appreciate the compliment and, uh, and maybe I'll get to do it again sometime. <laughs> I think the one thing that I, I, I took from Grayson Allen's uh, uh, interview and his, uh, his the questions that he answered, you can kind of tell that there's a part of him that has gone back to his freshman year and realizes how fun college basketball can be for him. Uh, you know, obviously we've talked about you know kind of the ups and downs that he's gone through in his career uh, with the with the mental aspect of things and and the tripping incidents and and stuff like that, but you could tell it's still fun for him. And I, I really appreciate that. And through all this where we're, you know, you guys have, you have teams who are locked in and you're, you're worth in the last eight teams remaining in the country that are playing basketball for a national title. And he's finding the fun in this. And, and I really appreciate that he is able to do that in his last, you know, few games uh, as, as a Duke player that is kind of the the revealing thing and that's even above what you know what Jason was just talking about those revealing things where you can kind of get to the root of you know what makes this fun for these guys and and even though that they're focused and this is kind of a pseudo job for them that they're having fun with it that lets me you know that kind of opens up and and makes you you know really latch onto these players and really makes you want to watch the next game and and I think that was the most revealing thing that that came out of these interviews was his ability to show that he's, you know, having a little bit of fun in this. I'll I'll, I'll finish on that thought because you guys talked about Grayson a little more. So the the setup in the in the locker room, um, it's it's a pretty small space, and most of the players are after the game are seated in front of their lockers, like kind of waiting there for any reporters who want to come talk to them. Um, so there's like a crowd of reporters around basically each of the starters. And, you know, if somebody else played well, um, Grayson and Marvin Bagley got pulled out at the beginning to go do the, the, the bigger like seated press conference, like out in the, in the media area. And I missed that part of it because I wanted to be inside to ask individual questions. But when they came back in, Bagley kind of took his, his seat 
at his locker the way that the other guys did and was like sitting there and you know they're kind of they're sitting there they're all they're all paying attention to the questions and everything but they're you know they're kind of like okay I'm, I'm just gonna get through this like like you said Donald it is it, it, it's kind of like my job Grayson came back into the locker room and and he was kind of standing off to the side um at where where the reporters kind of ended up around him and he stood there and answered questions like for 10 minutes and and you kind of touched on it you said that he he can tell he's having fun I I don't know if it's if it's necessarily fun but it is like very encompassing for him like he's 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 like almost restless standing there talking about the game um the other guys are sort of going about about their motions they're 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 pretty calm afterwards Grayson's like even 20 30 minutes after the game is still like pretty hyped up like he can't stop you know like moving around he's like he's like grabbing his you know the shoulders of his jersey and like tugging on it um he he gets very emotional talking about his time at at Duke and and playing in the tournament and all this kind of stuff and you can tell um there's there's just sort of a lot going on in his head and he 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 like can't even he can't contain it um so he has to be sort of fidgety about it and and I, and I I respect that because you know like like we've talked about a lot he's been through you know more ups and downs maybe than almost any duke player that I can remember watching and um and, and that is evident in him um even when he's when he's off the court even even well after the game is over so um I I enjoyed that that opportunity to talk to him and 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 sort of get that um that real emotion from him live and like right in front of me it, it was really interesting uh, you know, there's something interesting about Grace Allen. Your comments a second ago just made me think of something. I wasn't going to say this, but as you were talking, it occurred to me, Grace Allen's not the best player in college basketball this year. He, he's up there. He, you know, but no, no one thought he should have been first team all ACC. No one thinks he should be a first team all American. He's not the best player in college basketball, but you know what Grayson Allen is? Grayson Allen is the most famous player in college basketball right now. Um, not in the history of the game. But at this given moment, in the sport that is center stage um, in, in our sports culture because of March Madness, Grayson Allen is the player that is known, recognized, and watched by more people than any other player in the tournament. People may say DeAndre Ayton or uh, you know some of the guys on Villanova or Marvin Bagley are better pro prospects or, or you know more impactful players, perhaps. But Grayson Allen is the guy the media knows, the casual fan knows, everyone remembers him from Duke winning the national title three years ago. Uh, You know, it's a tremendous burden for Grayson to carry. And I think he, I think your comments about how he embraces that role in the locker room and and he sticks around to answer all those questions. And and it sounds to me like, even though you were talking about fidgeting, it sounds to me like he's maybe a little more focused on the questions and answering them than some of the other guys. I know when I saw the Duke players in the locker room, Grayson was more attentive while the other Duke players were sort of, they were answering questions while they were packing up their bags and getting things together. Grayson was sort of waiting to do that stuff until the questions were all done. And, And it leads me into, I wanted to mention something that Coach K said in the post-game news conference, because Sam, even though you weren't there, you sent us a transcript of the post-game news conference that you got. And I thought there was a really good thing that Coach K mentioned about our outside shooting and about Grayson Allen specifically. And he said this, and I thought this is really revealing. Uh, and this is Coach K's philosophy. You know, next we've heard next play before. Coach K said, the next shot is the next shot. You don't win by thinking back 
on the shot you just missed. You have to be positive, and our guys are. And he said, it's like Grayson's game. Grayson didn't shoot well from three, but he didn't let that affect his floor game. He had eight assists and only one turnover. And Coach K said, if you start worrying about your shot, if you miss, it affects everything about your game. So you have to have that next shot is next shot attitude. And we'll take whatever the consequences are from that, Coach K said. I, I don't mind if they miss that shot as long as they're not worrying about it. And then he added, but it's, it's okay if you hit a few of them. I don't mind that either. Because um, <laughs> <laughs> Coach K is always very funny. Yeah. But um, I, I, I love those comments from Coach K. And, and Sam, I, I really like your observation about Grayson Allen. And, and you know, I just think it's really interesting – we're going to be at some point we're going to have the last game of of perhaps all these starters careers certainly of Grayson Allen's career um but for Grayson it's been more of a journey because he's been there longer and because there have been more ups and downs and and things along the road and and uh i i just love reflecting in this moment on where he's been where he's gone and hopefully where he's continuing to go Today's podcast is proudly sponsored by two Duke class of 1978 alums and former roommates, Jamie Campbell and Tucker Bird, both diehard Duke fans and the founders of Bird Campbell PA, a Duke-centric business law firm with offices in Dallas, Orlando, and the Gulf Coast. If you live in one of these areas and are in need of legal advice, consider Bird Campbell. Reach out to them at birdcampbell.com. That's B-Y-R-D-C-A-M-P-B-E-L-L.com. And thank you, as always, for your support of the podcast. All right, guys, the marquee matchup that the NCAA tournament has been waiting for is finally here. Duke will take on Kansas in the Midwest Regional Final tomorrow. That is a 5.05 tip-off on the East Coast. Jason, I'm going to start with you. What do we need to do to beat the Jayhawks? Well, there's a simple... Simple part of all of this, which is Duke must rebound. Duke must be a really good rebounding team, um, and we must protect the ball. The, the two biggest correlations to Duke winning games is whether we get more rebounds than the opposition and whether we can hold our turnovers below 10%. Uh, I'm sorry, below 10 turnovers per game. Um, and that those are going to be the keys against Kansas. And Kansas is not a big team. Um, this is, you know, uh, th- this is going to be a a matchup where they really only have one forward or center in the game at any given time. Um, they're going to have they're going to have someone like you know probably uh, LeGerald Vick or uh, you know I don't even I, pro- I guess it'd probably be Vick who will try to guard Marvin Bagley. Um, uh, uh, and Azubuke will will match up with Wendell Carter, but uh, Azubuke and <clears throat> and Silvio D'Souza are the, are the only you know sort of true bigger guys that play for them, and they don't tend to play together at the same time. So Kansas is going to try to spread us out. They're going to try and use you know four guards and be quicker than we are and handle the ball better than we are we can and put pressure on on us and prevent us from getting the ball inside. And we're going to try and get the ball inside. And, and the game's simply going to come down to whether Duke's interior strength is able to overwhelm Kansas or whether Kansas 
Kansas's perimeter strength is able to shoot over Duke. I mean, Kansas has Kansas's top three scorers all hit better than 40% of their three pointers. That's just terrifying to think about. I mean, this is yeah, a team they, they they shoot a ton of threes. Go, go the, ahead. Uh, yeah. The Kansas folks that I was ta- I was sitting um next to a, a few Kansas uh, media and and um at, like AD's office personnel during the during their game last night and they were saying that all they all their team is trying to do is jack up threes and that um you know and that, that, that they want to they want to hit 12 13 14 threes in a game and and that's the way they win um I'll be curious to see how far Duke um extends the zone out when they're sort of in their base set but I think more interestingly is going to be how much Duke employs that press that they had on every possession against Syracuse that they were able. Um, you know, anytime Syracuse was inbounding the ball, Duke was Duke was hounding on the press and uh, and and was kind of switching up looks in the in in the pressure defense. I don't know if that's as effective against Kansas because if they can pass out of it, and again, their their guards are all pretty good passers and they're pretty good shooters. If they're able to pass out of it, that leads to open sh- quick open shots, and Kansas will be happy to take that. So I wonder if Duke is going to employ that press the whole time, maybe a little bit, um, to to see if they can knock Kansas out of their rhythm, um, because they're gonna they're gonna be able to shoot threes and they will make threes. Um, I, and and like you said, Jason, down low, Duke should have the advantage. Although as a bookie, can be quite a load for them. Um, and uh, so so keeping him out of the area right by the basket is going to be important on defense and then and then on offense. I think yet. Yeah, Duke, Duke has to be able to get the ball down low, has to get it through those guards um, and and into Bagley and Carter where they can work. I was impressed with um, with how well Duke was was using the alley-oops against Syracuse and and hope to see more of that against Kansas. You know, so I want to back up some of what you just said with some stats. Um, and we talked a little bit about this last week with, with Syracuse. Um, we were like, you know, there are 350 plus teams in Division One. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it, anything that you're, if you're not in the top hundred and something, um, it's probably a little bit of a concern. Um, and if you're in the bottom, you know, hundred, it's a big concern. Get this Kansas is 281st. That means they're in the bottom 100 in defensive rebounding percentage. Duke is going to have to own the offensive boards against Kansas. It is a place that they really, really struggle. Um, Another place they really struggle, Kansas doesn't get free throws. Kansas is 312th in free throws per game, and they play at a pretty fast pace. So, you know, there should be there are more possessions in a Kansas game usually. Uh, Kansas does not get the free throw line. They don't try and get fouls. And that's because, as you identified, Sam, this is a Kansas team that takes a lot of perimeter shots. They make 10 three-pointers per game. That makes them 18th in the nation, one of the top 20 teams in the country in three-pointers made per game. Their three-point shooting percentage is really good. They're 10th in the country in three-point shooting percentage. So this is a team, they live from the outside. Duke is going to have to make this a game on the inside if we're going to win. Either that, or we have to you know, just pray that we that we get um that, that we get really really hot from the outside. I mean, look, if, if Duke hits 50% of their three-pointers, then then we've got a good chance if even if it's just a game from the perimeter. But I hope and I expect Duke's going to pound the ball inside again and again and again against Kansas, try and get Azubuke in foul trouble. He's really their only, 
you know, good, effective big man. Um, after him, they're really they're relying on guys who aren't as good, and they're relying on guys who are guards to try and rebound. And guards trying to rebound against Wendell Carter and uh, um, and Marvin Bagley is not going to work very well. Um, uh, Donald, what what do you, what do you have on this game uh, from watching Kansas? So I agree with you that the inside presence is going to be the inside presence for us versus their perimeter presence. But for us, I do think that to keep the ball spread out, to keep the floor spread out and to expose their weakness inside, we will have to make some outside shots. And because when we have had games where we've struggled from behind the arc, teams have packed in to the paint with their defense and made it so that we try to beat them from the three. I, I don't, think that we can have a, a a shooting night like we did last night and be able to be effective inside because they're going to pack it in to paint and they're going to make it so that the the guys that aren't shooting well try to beat us and so I think that's going to be a key you know Trevon Duval didn't have a, a he had a terrible shooting night last night uh he has to improve I thought Carter and I'm not on the card I'm sorry Trent and Grayson Allen both had diff- difficult nights, but they were able to fight through that. And I think that kind of confidence, I, I expect them to be better on, on Sunday. Uh, but also the one thing that uh, Kansas likes to do, and it's especially with Azubuki, they do get to the line. They just don't make a lot of their free throws because a lot of the times it's teams trying to hack Azubuki who shoots like 27% from the He is the line. worst free throw shot. You know, uh, Clemson made a huge mistake. When Clemson was trying to come back against Kansas, they should have been fouling Azubuke more and more and more. They let him foul out of the game, so he wasn't in there for them to foul him. But when they were down with like six, seven minutes left, I would have been putting him on the line every single time. He's probably the worst free throw shooter in Division I. He's such a bad free throw shooter that he makes Trevon Duvall look like J.J. Redick at the line. Yeah, I mean, like I said, Jason, Jason, come on now. Oh, yeah, baby. Oh, yeah. Yeah. but here's the thing with Azubuki, like he is, he's not going to play that much. He played 25 minutes, but it was because he fouled out. But here's the thing when he's in there, he is their, you know, their motivation. He's their, he's their mantra. He's their mojo. When he's not having a good game, Kansas struggles. I know Devontae Graham is very good and Devontae Graham usually is very good. But when Azubuki's in there, they have a, a thing where they think they could be, you know, stellar inside and out. If we can withhold that and we can get him in foul trouble or when, you know, on offense, if he's struggling and he, and, you know, we're sending him to the line, he's missing. And those are, you know, empty possessions for them. That's when they're going to panic. And I think the, the few times this year where Kansas has panicked, they have lost this game. So those are my two takeaways from this game. Establish our, our inside presence. Sure. But if we can get our outside shot going, that's going to make everything so much easier for Bagley and Carter that they'll be able to expose uh, the inside game all night long. So guys, I got one more thing and I'm going to start this out in kind of a weird way. And, and then I promise I'll bring it around and you all are going to be like, holy shit, because you're not going to believe the stat I'm about to give you. So I want to go back to 1994. And I promise when I get done with this, you're going to see how this relates to the game against Kansas. I'm going back to 1994. I, I want to remind people of what 1994 was. In 1994, Sam and Donald, neither of you had ever stepped foot on Duke campus. Am I correct about that? That is, that is correct. correct. I was barely Ky- stepping anywhere at that point. Yeah. <laughs> Ky- Ky- Kyrie Irving was in diapers in 1994. Gas cost $1.09 a gallon. Movie tickets were $4. Nelson Mandela had just become president of South Africa. 
O.J. Simpson was fleeing from the police. We were watching movies like The Lion King, Pulp Fiction, and Shawshank Redemption. Beavis and Butthead were popular on television, so was NYPD Blue. We were listening to Brian Adams, Rod Stewart, and Celine Dion. They were the most popular musicians. But Tiger Woods, <laughs> Tiger Woods was still an amateur golfer. Joel Embiid, Janice Atatunkumbunko, The Freak, and Jameis Winston hadn't been born yet. That was 1994. Why am I talking to you about 1994? Because the last Duke is a number two seed, Kansas is a number one seed. The last time Duke beat a higher seeded team in the NCAA tournament was 1994 against Purdue. What? Duke, uh, huh? Yes. <laughs> you know what? That kind of makes sense. That kind of makes sense because we're normally the higher seed. Yeah, but uh, but I mean, it's not like we're always a number one seed. But think about that for a second. I, Sam, I got the reaction out of you I was expecting. When I, when I heard this stat, when a friend of mine told me this, I flipped. The last time Duke beat a higher-seeded team was Purdue in 1994. They had Glenn the Big Dog Robinson and Billy King um, had an incredible – I think it was Billy King. Oh, maybe I'm getting my games confused. I forget. Uh, no, Grant Hill. Grant Hill had a great defensive say, Billy, game. Billy King yeah, was, King was gone well at that point. That. Yeah, he was gone. I was thinking of Billy King defeating Mark Macon back in uh, 90, I think 90 it was. But in any event, no, Grant Hill had a great defensive game against Glenn Big Dog, and Duke went to the Final Four. Um, again, we would eventually went to the national championship. We eventually would lose to Arkansas. But um, that was the last time Duke beat a higher-seeded team. We've only played four higher-seeded teams over the years since then. Um, in 1994, we played Arkansas, and we lost. They were a one seed. We were, I think, a three. Um, in 2003, we were a three seed, and we lost to Kansas when Kansas was a two. In 2013, we were a two seed, and we lost to Louisville in the famous game where, what's his name, uh, Ware broke his leg. And in 2016, we were a four seed, and we lost to number one Oregon. So we've only played four times a higher seed since, 2000, since 1994. But... The point is, we haven't beaten a higher-seeded team since, you know, since Sam was barely walking. <laughs> so we're due. We are due, and it's going to happen. But I just wanted to say that. I thought that was incredible. 1994, the Lion King. That's the last time we beat a higher-seeded team. It's time to do it again. Um, Jason, I love that, and and I'm all for it. And uh, and I think Duke's got, got a great shot, even though the – the crowd in Omaha on Sunday will be heavily favored towards Kansas. Duke is used to things like that. And uh, I, I think they're going to come out on top. I, I think that the, the matchup favors Duke really well, like we've talked about. And, uh, and I look forward to us talking about, uh, about Duke, you know, winning a, a game against the higher seeded team for the first time, you know, in, in almost 25 years. Okay, guys, really quickly, let's expand and, and talk quickly about the bracket at large. Uh, and I want to go with you, Sam, because uh, I, I know you have thoughts about the the imbalance that we've seen so far uh, and, and now that we, we really have in the Elite Eight. Talk to us about it. Yeah, so on the right side of the bracket, which was all the games that were played Friday night, the winners were the one seed, the three seed, a one seed, and a two seed. Um, so those the, that would be Villanova, Texas Tech, Kansas, and Duke, of course. Um, we'll all be playing for two spots in the final four on and it's the worth, other it's side. Worth, I was going to say, it's worth noting that the, the two seed that lost, the only one that lost was a Purdue team that is 
uh, you know, has lost arguably their best player. So they weren't a real two seed. So right. you've got the four best teams on this half of the bracket are the four teams left standing. Right. And and on the other side, you have Michigan, who the three of us all picked to go to the final four, probably. Yeah. Good stand to see Carolina there, but they're still standing. They are by far the best team that's left. Um, Kansas State, who I, I, you know, again, I was talking to these to these Kansas guys yesterday and they were saying um, I, I was talking to some guys. I, I think that they were out of a radio station in, in Topeka or um or wichita one of the other cities in kansas and they said yeah we you know we've been expecting not expecting but we've been sort of planning all year that you know we'd be covering kansas in the final four because because they were you know they were solid all year and they were going to have an easy geographic path and and they said you know and it turns out we might be going to the final four to to cover k-state which nobody thought we were going to do um and and k-state is the higher seeded team in that elite eight game um in in the south regional against loyola chicago I don't know if Kansas State's going to win that game, but I, I I remember back to oh so long ago, like two weeks when we said, "Man, what a hard region! Virginia's going to have to go through Arizona and Kentucky and uh, and Cincinnati. That all those teams are gone." And then after you know after the first weekend, it was, "Oh well, now Kentucky has this easy path to the Final Four. Well, that's gone because they somehow lost to Kansas State, you know, in basically a home game for Kentucky." Um, and then in, 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 in the, in the other bracket, you have Michigan, Donald's Michigan Wolverines, um, who have looked stellar in this tournament. They, they might be the most impressive team, I think so far in this tournament, just the way that they've, the way they've won all these games. Um, oh, they got lucky. Hold on. Hold on. They shouldn't even be here. It took a desperation three pointer for them to even get here. Well, in any event, it was a nicely taken desperation three pointer though. So it's fine, but but, yeah. Um, but the. But but they go up against the Florida State team that we all saw earlier this year, and I don't know. Do you guys do you guys want to correct me? Is anything exciting about Florida State? Was like I I, I there was nothing that stood out to them about them to me this year that made me think, yeah, Final Four bound Florida State. Leonard Hamilton. I mean, Leonard Hamilton's had way better teams in Tallahassee than the one that he has this year, and here they are, one win away from going to his first Final Four. I mean, you were talking about Michigan being the most impressive team so far in this tournament, like at least on that side of the bracket. I honestly think it's Florida State because how many people picked them to go this far? And like you said, there wasn't anything where you said, hey, they have a really good player. They have a really good shooter. They have a, you know, a, a, a strong presence inside. They, they don't do anything terrifically, but they are somehow beating some really good teams ahead of them. And, and I think that is... Uh, their their run so far has been very very impressive to me. I, I I hate to say that as as a as a cane, but you know, like the Knolls are are doing something right now, and I'm not quite sure how they're doing it, but they're in the lead eight right now, and they're playing a, another hot team in Michigan. So one of those teams is going to the final four. But check this out, guys, on that side of the bracket, if Michigan loses today, a nine or an eleven seed will be in the title game. Imagine that. Like I don't think anyone ever imagined that a 16 seed would take down a one. We all thought it would eventually happen, but no one ever picks it, but it will be that we have the first nine 11 matchup in the ever in the tournament. And that can only happen in the elite eight. And if Michigan loses, we're going to have a nine seed or an 11 seed in the title game, the highest seed to ever make the title game. So that is, it, there's a lot of uh, surprising uh, things that have happened so far in this tournament, especially on the one it makes the, the one side of the bracket look really, really chaotic. Uh, but it's funny. We all 
we talk about rooting for chaos in every tournament except for when Duke plays. So far, that has hold, held true. Um, and, and hopefully, you know, we won't have any chaos uh, uh, tomorrow with us. But I, I think that the chaotic nature of this makes this probably this will go down as one of the more memorable tournaments in the history of college basketball. And, and I'm going to make a commitment to next year and in future years to to hunt more chaos as I'm making bracket picks, because um, I think the more that time goes on, the more that that, you know, the, these teams that aren't as talented have the ability to out scout and, and out execute um, the the sort of the more talented teams, the more traditional teams. And, and we've seen that all over the tournament this year. Uh, and it's been really fun to watch. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and today, I think there's a, what is it, a Michigan, Florida State, Kansas State, Loyola. Look, I I'm, I don't know who I'm going to pick in any of these games. I know Michigan I, I've picked to go to the Final Four, but I'm not picking against Sister Jean. Like, I, I'm not going to do it uh, because <laughs> she she might be answering to something higher than what we got, you know. So uh, they have been impressive this tournament. Kansas State, how they've played, I mean, it's funny, all these games, uh, and you were talking about, you know, playing Kansas and Omaha, all of these games that have a team playing basically at home, those teams have lost. And, you know, in the case of, of the Cincinnati teams, the Cincinnati teams chose to play in Nashville and they lost like Michigan, Michigan State, I'm sorry, Michigan State lost in Detroit, Charlotte, Virginia and UNC lost in Charlotte. And now we have Kansas and Omaha. It, it takes me back to that game uh, f- back in 2010 where we played uh, Baylor in Houston, and it was all Baylor fans, and we somehow emerged victorious and ended up going to the national championship. I, I, I'm trying to, I'm trying not to, 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 I'm trying to suppress my emotions there, but I think that this lines up similarly. You know, Sam, you were t- saying, "Oh, I'm going to look for more chaos." How could you have picked Florida State? I mean, Florida oh, State. Oh, you can't. Had- you can't. <laughs> I mean that. I thought they had a fairly disappointing season. I mean, I remember when we beat them back in early January, I thought it was a more, you know, I thought it was an impressive win. And then as the season moved on, it was a less and less and less impressive win. Florida State wasn't as good as as folks had expected. And then they came into the tournament. Their first round game is against a Missouri team that that's adding Michael Porter, adding a top five draft pick. And uh, everyone, I, I will freely admit, I picked Missouri. I think everybody was picking Missouri for the most part. And so Florida State, they beat Missouri fairly easily. They, you know, the Xavier game was a good, it was a close game, but it's, it wasn't, I mean, Florida State was in control for most of that game. They, they throttled Gonzaga. They beat Gonzaga, again, fairly easily. Florida State's had, they, they've arguably been as impressive as any team in the tournament. And here they're playing Michigan. And by the way, the, the, I, I really think the winner of that Florida State-Michigan game, I, I don't want to put down Kansas State and Loyola, who, who have both had wonderful, magical runs that they will remember for a long, long time. The winner of that Florida State-Michigan game is playing for the national title. I, I just think there's no comparison uh, in the quality of Florida State and Michigan compared to Loyola and Kansas State. But we'll see. There's also, I mean, no, there's like also I said, no comparison, co- comparison between Kansas State and anybody. So uh, can, you know, Kansas State shouldn't have beaten Kentucky, uh, but yeah, here they yeah. are. So, right. I, I, I don't know if we can say that stuff anymore, especially in this tournament and especially on that side of the bracket. 
I, I just know that I'm rooting for Loyola to make the finals because I want to see you have to root for them against Duke. Last week, you promised. You said no, if they play Duke in the championship. I said, I said I would be fine. I would be fine if Duke lost to Loyola Chicago. I'm not going to be rooting for Loyola, but oh, okay. if, if, Sister, if Sister Jean takes the title home, I'll be okay. Okay, guys, we are going to wrap up with our player of the week or our player of the game, really. And I will start with you, Sam. So from my vantage point, um, I want to I want to take Wendell Carter, who seemed like he was the most comfortable at both ends of the court um, last night, um, played a lot of good defense, was was contesting really well. And then also, um, you know, kind of. uh Worked his way into the zone, made some made some really nice floaters. Um, had a couple of dunks. He had one dunk where um, he got an and one. I think it was in the second half um, where he like muscled through three Syracuse defenders and he was sort of covered up by them and then just emerged and and threw it down. And I was like, oh my god, like where did he come from? So uh, Wendell Carter for me. Jason, so it's sort of funny that you you went with Carter uh, on uh, on the DBR boards where we have where people vote for the player of the game. Um, Carter, Bagley, Allen, and Trent are like almost evenly splitting the vote. And I was sure that when the three of us got together and made our picks that we'd pick three different guys. But I agree with you that Wendell Carter played really, really well. 12 rebounds, 14 points. He made great decisions, like you said, with the ball in the zone. But I'm picking him because I thought he played terrific defense. Duke's zone leaves him alone on an island when the ball gets into the middle of the zone. I mean, to the to to a large extent, Duke sort of says, if you can get the ball in here, then you can go one on one with Wendell Carter and good luck with that. And he was able to contest shots while not fouling. Um, Syracuse is typically great at getting inside and sort of taking circus shots around the basket. That's what that's what Brissett lives on. And and Carter did a fabulous job of contesting those shots um, and and. And and still being able to grab rebounds and the such in a game where Duke struggled with rebounding, he led us in rebounding. So that's why I went with Wendell Carter as my player of the game. So it's two for two. Donald, what you going to do? Unfortunately, it will not be three for three for Wendell Carter, though he had a great game. I'm going to give the nod to Gary Trent Jr. Uh, Gary Trent, I thought, had a great game, but really where he stood out was down the stretch. He had that three-pointer. He had a, a, that runner in the in the lane, and he had those two ice-cold free throws uh, to seal the game for us. Uh, and for that, he is going to be my player of the week. But I do give props to Wendell Carter, Bagley, and Grayson Allen for how they played. And also Marquise Bolden, because I thought at times Marquise, when he came in, he didn't do much, but he did enough to to really set a tone and, and, and gain some momentum for our team. And it was it was very well noted. And and very casually, uh, Marvin Bagley set the Duke freshman scoring record last night, and we didn't talk about it until I just mentioned it. So, oh hum, I mean, he had a oh, whole hum twenty two points, like <laughs> which is which is yeah, whatever. Astounding also, that we still talk also, about it like he, that. He also failed to uh, to get up um, correctly on on that one alley oop and got the ball stuck and was called for for basket interference. So you know what, Marvin Bagley, you, you could do better. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, guys, that's going to do it for us here on episode 114 of the DBR podcast. As always, you can find us on iTunes. You can find us on Stitcher Radio, Google Play, and SoundCloud. Listen, tell your friends, and leave nice reviews for us. They really help. And if you have any questions, 
comments, or constructive criticism, you can email us at dbrpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks to all of you out there for listening. And for Sam and Jason, I am Donald. We will check you sometime after the Kansas game. But for now, Duke Band, take us home.